Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. Chris, long time no see. Actually, I just talked to you <laughs> yesterday. This, this is part of what I wanted to start off with. We did our yeah. first joint CLE together yesterday. We did it as a podcast. Yeah. How, awesome. how did it go? What, what were your thoughts I, on our joint CLE venture? I thought it was fun. We got to talk about the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. We got to do a deeper dive into kind of the, the commentary that we had on it, do some more, you know, analyzing how good the lawyers were, mistakes that they made. We were able to, you know, to second chair this trial and just, it was a really good, like, intellectual, um, uh, like, decathlon where we actually got to really get into our lawyerly chops and start talking really deep about the law. It was a lot of fun. All right, Chris, you made my day there. I think you, if I heard you correctly, and I'll replay the tape, I think you just referred to me as an intellectual. Not too many people have actually said that. In fact, mm-hmm. I kind of need my my ego kind of built up a little bit because I actually got an email last <laughs> night from this lady. So I'm, I'm, I did this lawsuit, uh, this, this matter. I got a grant for it. And so uh, this uh-huh. lady who's kind of processing the grant, uh, she emailed me last night. And this is what she said. I'm going to read from this email. She goes, I remember Ooh. you. You were on my interview team when I joined your organization back in 2014. She said, oh, sadly, cool. we never met as you didn't relocate uh, to, to my state, actually Arizona. She said, but, but I uh-huh. remember our call. Said this is what she said. You asked something about how I would handle someone who was um, disorganized or helter skelter or something like that. Wow, she remembered. Wow, what eight years later that I asked a question of, hey, so out of the blue, hypothetically speaking, let's say you had a lawyer who uh, is allergic to deadlines, helter skelter, ADHD, whatever. How would you handle that lawyer? She said that cracked her up. So hey. Maybe that's what nice. I was back then, but at least now you're saying I am an intellectual. My how times have changed, but nonetheless, saying I was an intellectual, we then talked about what I believe the Johnny Depp trial. So there was um, a poop in a bed. Is that an intellectual thing to say? Well, you know, we, we went through the rigmarole of how we could get around saying such horrendous terms like poop in, it, right. <laughs> in trial. Johnny Depp was there at trial. How did he refer to it? He was very, oh, he was trained. When he said that line, you could tell he had the dramatic pauses. He used his grovelly voice, his best Johnny Depp acting skills. And then he, uh, uh, what did he say? Human, oh, human fecal matter is what he said. Yes, exactly what he said. There you go. It was was a lot of fun. Which is comical because all they did, because all they did was swear the entire trial. They dropped every of all the seven deadly curse words you're not allowed to say on TV. And then in one moment, he goes, human fecal matter. George Carlin would have been proud of them using all those yeah. words. You're right. Uh, it, was, it was so many fun things happened during that trial. Remember the one witness who was actually testifying via his car, pulled out his yes. vaping pin, started vaping in the middle of his of his testimony, and then pulled out and started driving in traffic. Yeah. He is, he's changing lanes while testifying in a federal in a court federal court. Amazing stuff. Such a winner. Such a winner. All right. Well, hey, the, we, um, football is just starting. I know we, this is not a courtroom quarterback segment. That will be at the mm-hmm. end. We're going to talk about this week, Saturday, my team, the, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, will be kicking it off in all places 
Ireland, where they don't even know what football is. They'll call it football or whatever. I don't know. But my Nebraska Cornhuskers are kicking it off this weekend against Northwestern. More on that in just a bit. But, Chris, we have a lot of legal news to to debrief, so let's get right at it. Let's start off here, Chris, with... Uh, I know you're a favorite guy. Uh, Ex-president, former president Donald J. Trump asked a federal judge, who, by the way, he happened to appoint. uh, That's not irrelevant, I'm sure. But asked a federal judge to appoint a special master to review the files that were taken by the FBI during the raid of Mar-a-Lago. And so... um, uh, any thoughts on the Trump asking a federal judge to, Hey, I want you to review these files, look over what's mm-hmm. going on. A- any thoughts on that? I mean, that's just kind of standard practice when you have money. Most of us who have, you know, the police search our home, we don't have the money to appeal the search warrant, but it's, it's standard practice for anybody who's in that tax bracket to, to say, Hey, look, um, I think all of this was wrong. I think these officers are biased. I think the judge is idiotic. I don't think there's probable cause. All the stuff becomes, you know, becomes tainted. Can't be used. This trial can't be used against them because they were illegally seized. So it's just a step in the process. I don't think it has any merit whatsoever, but I know it's going to get a ton of news time with a bunch of people who think it does. So it's, you know, it's standard procedure. And hopefully this judge doesn't, you know, looks at the, the, the merits of the search warrant and says, yeah, it was a valid search warrant. Well, let's, let's unpack it because I do think the search warrant was a valid search warrant from the very beginning. I don't think we're, we're going to question that because you and I both agree that search warrants are issued a dime a dozen. Basically you got to, you got to show probable cause, but that's a real low standard when we're talking about getting a search warrant. And, And so that's not the issue. The issue is, should it have been done against your political enemies? Should you weaponize the search warrant process? The Fourth Amendment was meant to protect pers- private property and, and persons from unnecessary government intrusion. And now it's kind of being used as a weapon to get dirt on your political enemies. And so I think this was a move by Donald Trump. And yes, he has the money. But basically to get one of his judge, I hate to say his judges, but a judge that he appointed yeah. to just review the matter and maybe offer up something that says, yes, this was out of the order. Something that Donald Trump then can use in the next political cycle. Now, this this is risky for Donald Trump because what if this federal judge whom, whom he appointed says, no, you know what? I reviewed everything. It looks good. No need to act here. Right. Would that not be then egg on Donald Trump's face? Donald Trump's all about staying in the news, whether it's whether it's right or wrong, whether what he's doing is correct or incorrect. Because Donald Trump has always, hasn't always, Donald Trump has shown in the last years of his presidency that he is all about undermining democracy and undermining the systems of justice and order that we have in this country. So when his, the judge that, that is reviewing this, whether Donald Trump appointed him or not, if the judge come out, judge comes out and says, no, this is a fine search warrant, the narrative is going to be, they're out to get me, they've corrupted the justice, I made the wrong choice in appointing this judge. Obviously, obviously, this judge is woke um, and all these things. And if the judge says that it was a bad search warrant, Donald Trump is going to be like, see, it's political, con- you know, political retribution. Any way you look at this, Donald Trump is going to spin it into him being the victim when in actuality he is not the victim. The American people are. Interesting. Well, I, I do agree with your assessment there that. 
Uh, it's all about what is in the news cycle right now and what right. happened 25 hours ago. That's old news. It will be long forgotten. So this probably is a fishing expedition by Trump to get something that he could then use during the next campaign cycle to say, look, this was a, a, a political raid. Uh, this was weaponizing the FBI. Look, I got a federal judge to agree with it. Let's say this federal judge does not agree with it. Well, then who cares, right? That he's not, it's going to be gone in the news cycle. It'll be yesterday news and no one will ever hear uh, um, whatever happened with that. All right. Yeah, he'll let's move on now that. to our next topic. We're talking about presidents and their power. And this yep. next subject is going to be a, a very interesting one. I'm very curious to see what your take is going to be. I have many different takes on this next topic, mm -hmm. as I'm sure our listeners will have. The student loan bailout. So President Biden announced up to $20,000 in federal student loan forgiveness uh, mm -hmm. last week. And basically students uh, who attended college using a federal Pell Grant will qualify for a $20,000 forgiveness. And those who did not use the Pell Grant but still got a federal student loan would receive $10,000 in forgiveness. Now, there are a lot of different issues when it comes to this forgiveness uh, program. The, I'm gonna just lay out all the three issues. The first issue is, does the president have the power to, uh, to forgive student loans? If you would have asked the president last year and, sec and uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, both of them said, no, the president does not have that power. They have since changed course, we'll talk about that. But does the president have the power to do that? Secondly, is this fair? Is it right to to forgive these loans of people who have not paid them back and not forgive the loans or pay back loans of those who've already paid back their student loans? Is that fair? And then lastly, will it, will this fan the flames of, of inflation? All right, Chris, what are your thoughts on this bailout? Are you um, $125,000 is, is the, the threshold if you made over $125,000, you don't qualify for this forgiveness mm -hmm. program. What are your thoughts? So I think it's great. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it should have been done years ago. I think the student loan process is horrendous to begin with. And college should be free for anyone who wants to go. That's my opinion. Um, pause right there. I, can, I, can I just have you pause right there? Because yeah. that fascinates yeah. me. What you yeah. just said, I think is not controversial, but yet I see memes all over the place saying, no, right. this is horrible. You should not have someone else paying for your college. That, well, that is unfair. Why is that unfair? D don't we have that for K through 12? Right? Public education we have from K through 12. So why is K through 13 all of a sudden socialism? I, I don't get that. Well, I also think that, so this is going to be one of one of my, my soapboxes that I get on so often. From like 1960 to 1990, all of us, or even early 2000, all of us were told that if we wanted the American dream, we had to go to college. Right, right. If, if, you, if you wanted the house and the white picket fence and the spouse and the kids and the dog and the car and the retirement, you had to go to college. College is yes. where it was at. And right. it was ingrained in us. So then to turn around and say, well, if you can't afford to go, you aren't deserving of the American dream. And that's not what America is about. I think that trade schools 
should be promoted and free. Right. I think that college should be promoted and free. I think, you know, military careers should be, which already are promoted and free, depending on where you're living. Um, I think that if you want to go into the Peace Corps or if you want to go on church missions or whatever they are, you should have that. We are a better world when people are more educated and they, re- they, they come in contact with diverse peoples rather than staying in their small little bubble their entire life. Now, I, I agree with that, but I will tell you, my personal story is now I was brought up in a household and probably the best situation a person could ever mm-hmm. be brought up in because I had the loving parents who brought me up and took me to church every week. I learned to mm-hmm. be, I was, lear- I was taught to be God-fearing at the very young age. That's the okay. best environment you can have to grow up in. That being said, we did not have money. So if I wanted to go to college, Right. There was no bank account that funded it, right? It was, I showed up there and on day one and said, okay, I want to go to college. How do I pay for it? And he said, well, what money do you have? I said, nothing. He said, well, here is the student loan line. Get in it. So I went to the student loan line and student loans paid for all of the college that I received outside uh-huh. of the scholarships that I qualified for. Uh, and right. so student loans allowed me to pursue the American dream and yet everything I have right now came from the education that I, that I did receive. So I think no matter what your economic background is, it, it could be that you have zero money, like my situation was. You can still get all the education you wanted to. That being said, we did have a situation where you're, you're the, the colleges, you had to pay for it, K through 12, you did not. Should that be flipped and should public, you know, the, the, the colleges also be free public education? I don't know. I, I think it's a valid question. I just don't right. know why the answer has to be no, that's socialism when K through 12 being offered free is not socialism. Well, and there's people that are trying to, to dismantle the K through 12 system as we speak. So I, I think it's this attack on education is really astounding to me because the people who are attacking education are the ones that benefited the most from it. Right. And so they're so I don't know if it's this subconscious power grab where they don't want anyone else to rise up and challenge them for their power, whether it's legislatures or state boards or classrooms or whatever, or if it's really this idea that the education system is so horrible that we just need to do away with it. All right. So whatever, however the the system is in how it got there, how it should be changed. The fact is we did take out student loans to go to college. We We did pay them back. Some people have not paid them back. And so Biden said, hey, no problem there. I'm going to forgive ten to twenty thousand dollars if you make under one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. So the question is, does Biden have the power to just wave his wand and forgive all of this loan? Now, it's interesting. Let me read for you a quote from Nancy Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi said when asked this uh, this question she said people think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness he does not he can postpone he can delay but he does not have that power that has to be an act of congress that's Nancy Pelosi in 2021 Biden himself said the same thing. He said, I don't think I had the authority to do it by signing the pen. He said that in February of this last year. Mm-hmm. 
So does he have the power or does he not? Because he just, this last week, he, he used his pin and boom, student loans have been forgiven. So does, does he have the power to just forgive ten dollars to $20,000 of student loans? I'm, I'm not an expert on presidential powers, but I believe he does with the, the assistant, the, the help of Congress, maybe, maybe not. Um, there right. was the, the, the DOJ or not the DOJ, was it the DOJ or the secretary of education released an article saying that, or released a, a statement saying that during times of great like war and stuff like that, the president does, but we don't know your, if this, that's the Lisa Brown, um, memo. Yeah, let's go back to right? that. on Tuesday this week, Lisa Brown, the general counsel for the department of education, she issued mm-hmm. a memo to education secretary, Miguel Cardona, basically say, yeah, look, we have this power and the president has this power. And here's why, according to her, obviously you're gonna say this might be self-serving, but let's set that yeah. aside for a second. She said, look in 2003, so post nine 11, there was a law known as the heroes act. And when I saw he read heroes, I think, okay, heroes that are out there fighting for us. Right. No. First responders, <laughs> military, right? No, yeah. no, no, none of that. Heroes is higher education relief opportunities for students. Go ahead and I spell that naming. out. H-E-R-O-S, throw in an E there. He yep. throw in an E heroes. All right. That, that was a pass in 2003. And under okay. this act, the HEROES Act authorizes the Secretary of Education to waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs if the Secretary deems such waivers or modifications, and here's the quote mm-hmm. part that I want you to focus on, necessary to ensure. You got that? Necessary to ensure. What are they ensuring? at least one of the several enumerated purposes, which includes that borrowers are not placed in a worse position financially because of a national emergency. And so here, when we have the national emergency they're trying to rely on, again, this is not wartime, this is not a military um, uh, excursion, this would be COVID. They're relying on COVID being a national emergency. Is the relief of the student loans necessary to ensure that the people who took out student loans are not put in a worse financial position. Chris, I gotta tell you, I doubt it. Here's why I doubt it. I'm gonna just lay it on the line. This was a campaign issue long before COVID ever hit. They wanted the student loan forgiveness well before we ever knew what COVID was. And so, did COVID really stop people from paying their student loans? No, it, it didn't. How is forgiving ten to twenty thousand dollars necessary to make sure people are put in the same position post-COVID that they were pre-COVID? Chris, I am going to suggest this is a reach. They're just using this as a mechanism to implement student loan forgiveness because they don't want to go mm-hmm. through Congress. Any thoughts on that? I I think it's genius, right? Biden was. I mean, I think it's absolute genius. Biden did promises. The Democrats have been promising student loan relief since since Obama. And the vehicle that they get to use student loan relief happens to be COVID. Just because it's opportunistic doesn't mean it's illegal, right? We have plenty Do of people think- that are opportunistic that it is not illegal. But this is this is the vehicle they get to keep their promise under. And it's a win-win for the Democrats, right? It's Do- an easy Do- way and it keeps a promise. Do you think that forgiving ten to twenty thousand dollars of student loans you might have taken out, and let's just say 
1991, in my case, or okay. 2000, or whenever it is, is forgiving that necessary to make sure you're not in a worse position post-COVID than you were pre-COVID? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What's happened since COVID? Uh, housing prices have skyrocketed. Rental prices have skyrocketed. Food skyrocketed. Gas has skyrocketed, even though it's coming back down. Pre-COVID, a lot of this wasn't the problem. Now maybe that student loan payment, that if it's 10, 20, 30 years old and you're still paying on it, like that may be the difference between having food that week. A now, lot of people struggle. So all these increased prices with people who are struggling, maybe this – could, could we for a second say that $10,000 in student loan relief, $20,000 in student loan relief for some – who got a bachelor's degree, maybe that pays off the remainder of their student loans or half of their student loans. For those of us who went to law school, 10,000 bucks, really? That doesn't even cover the interest I pay in a year. Here's what's going to be interesting to me. There, there might be, I think there will be a legal challenge to this. It's probably going to come from is. some bank that is. is impacted by this. We just talked with a, a federal student loan director at a university, and that person told me there are several federal student loans out there that went through okay. private banks because it of didn't course. go solely through federal the federal treasury until the mid-2000s. So there would be student loan programs out there with private banks. So most likely there'll be someone out there impacted. They will file a lawsuit. This will go to the courts. And the question that does. I find interesting from a legal standpoint is you, Chris, you just brought some good arguments. I think, I think maybe Biden should hire you as his lawyer, but here's the <laughs> issue. Who gets to make that decision? Do you give deference to the decision by the administration? They're the ones that are running this. We're not going to second guess mm -hmm. the administrators. And so all those reasons you just proffered up, Hey, good for you. We're not going to look at this uh, with a scans to, Oh no, this is just a campaign promise because you want to forgive student loans. You're just using this as a vehicle. We're going to believe you when you say it's necessary to, uh, to fix this COVID situation. We're not, we're not going to second guess you, but there is some, uh, there are some scholarly articles out there that suggest that, we shouldn't be given deference to the uh, the administrators because they have political agendas. And so we're not going to give deference. We're just going to look at this based upon the terms of the, the laws. Is this necessary? And in court, you got to prove this is necessary. This kind of strikes up this idea of strict scrutiny where you have to prove there's no right. other way to accomplish your objective, maybe you just delay payment. Maybe you stall payments. Maybe there's no interest that's charged on these payments. So it might there be a less restrictive means. Again, who gets to make that determination of, is this necessary? Is it the courts or is it going to be the, the secretary of education uh, who gets to, who gets to make that call? I think I, even with this conservative court that we have, because of this heroes act, which was passed by Congress, and has already stood constitutional muster. Nobody challenged it when it was under President Bush, who passed the HEROES Act. Nobody challenged it until Biden uses it to, to do student loans, or Secretary uh, Becerra uses it for student loans. So I think that this is the proper way of doing it. I think it stands constitutional muster. Congress put through an act. They put in there what they wanted. The legislative branch did theirs, and the executive branch is doing theirs, which is enforcing the law. So I, I don't think that that it would, I think there's going to be lawsuits, but I don't think there's a, a leg to stand on to say, no, this is just political. Cause at the end of the day, all laws are political. All that, actions that are is, political. Everything is, is political. 
I, I would agree a hundred percent with that, that if there's a decision that comes out of DC, you know, there's a political bent to it, but uh, let, let's analyze here why they don't just go through Congress. Well, again, they, he's only going to forgive 10 to $20,000. Now, why such a small amount? Well, I think if it had been a much larger amount, like we're going to do a total loan forgiveness here. Right. Okay. That that's going to defy that. That's not going to pass the muster. Really? Is that no. necessary to achieve your purpose here by doing a minimal 10 to $20,000? Maybe that enhances their argument of this is the, the smallest amount that we could do to effectuate our goal of putting people in the same position. If they strove for too much and they aimed for total debt reduction, that probably would not have passed a, a legal challenge. All right. That well, being again, said, most, do, most borrowers are in the twenty dollars to $40,000 range. Okay. So if most so that's borrowers be about are a quarter in the 20, of that debt. Right. So if you're either at a half or a quarter of a forgiveness, so you're not. Forgiving all the debt, people are still going to have to pay back their debt, but we're seeing debt relief. We're seeing help to the, the middle and lower classes that need help more than ever. All right. Well, that's interesting to see how, it, will there be a legal challenge? I think there will. That will be the issue. Does, who gets to make that decision of, is this necessary to put people in the same position post pandemic that they were mm -hmm. in pre pandemic? And Another issue that's going to pervade the course is going to be this. Is this really an attempt to bypass the proper democratic process? Because this is a conservative court. They don't like that. When they think something is, a, is an attempt to bypass the, the proper way you do things, that does not sit well with this conservative court. And so why not go to Congress? Because clearly Congress has that power to, to forgive a federal student debt. Congress has that the power of, of the, the Treasury. Why not go through Congress? Well, it has been suggested that this student loan forgiveness is not a politically popular topic because it is inherently unfair. Why are you forgiving the loans of the people who have not paid them back when several people out there made tough financial decisions. They got second and third jobs to, to pay off their, their um, education while it was going on. And, and they, they paid off their student loan over the years. The people who paid off their student loan last year, are they gonna get a $10,000 refund check because they paid it off early? Is this not punishing those who are being more diligent with their money? Why not pay those guys back? So if it went to Congress, those would be the issues that would have to be discussed. Instead, they went this route and they could bypass the congressional route. And do you think that, do you think that will make a difference to the courts? The inherent unfairness of this? It's not unfair. Life is I inherently unfair. I tried to set you up. You are too smart. You would not be tricked. Kudos to you. Right. Fair, fairness has nothing. The, the law isn't fair. Is it fair that Donald Trump has the money to challenge the subpoena in court, whereas the guy who's wrongfully incarcerated for 25 years has no recourse? Not at all. The, the all right. system is inherently unfair because it's an imperfect system. I am not eligible. My loans would be eligible for forgiveness if I didn't make more than $125,000 a year. I am lucky enough to come from a single parent household where my mom worked two jobs and I had to take loans out from day one. I make a good living with where I work and my side hustles and my wife's job that I'm not eligible to receive loan forgiveness. And I'm over the moon about it. I will continue with my prosperity and my blessings to pay back right, the money right, that right. I borrowed. I'm not going to look at the person next to me 
that is a school teacher who went to school to be a school teacher and got a pay cut this year, but she still has to pay back her full amount of student loans without any relief. She's doing a much more important job than I am, and she's making almost a hundred grand less than what I make. Interesting. The, I appreciate the your system points. Is I, unfair. I do think well, there are values unfairness all throughout who gets money from government and who does not get right. money from government. Uh, still, you know this is going to be a point that they make oh, in the the, the middle ground states uh, where you have more, more blue collar factory workers. They're saying, "I didn't even go to college. Why am right. I paying for your loans that you took out instead of working or getting a trade school job? Why am I paying for your loans?" That would probably score some political points. Again, as you so astutely pointed out, everything that comes out of D.C has a political bent. So there you go. We will right. follow any lawsuit that is filed. I would be shocked, Chris. I would be floored if no if lawsuit comes. is filed in this. Oh matter. my gosh, there's going to be huge. And it's going to be in the, it's not going to be used for the midterms, but it is definitely going to be set up to be used for the next presidential and next federal elections. Yes, I think it's going to exactly. be a central point of the Democrats. The, I think it's going to be framed like this. And folks, you hear it here first. Democrats' irresponsibility for financial literacy. That's going to be their big thing. And it's going to be a package of inflation, overspending, Ukraine, and student loan forgiveness. And we didn't even talk about the last point, inflation. If this yeah. has an impact on inflation, and if you talk to economists, there is a connection between just throwing money out into the economy and prices rising. That's what happens. You throw billions of dollars into the economy, mm -hmm. then the businesses say, oh, look, there's more money for people to spend. We can raise our prices. There so is greed. a direct connection. And so there's a huge here, problem already, with greed in this country. There is a huge problem with greed. That is what our, yeah. our economy is based on, the capitalistic society, laissez-faire, i.e. greed. And, mm -hmm. and so we, we can depend upon greed. It is a staple. It will happen. And so if... Will this fan the flames of inflation by throwing out all this free money out there? I don't know. I don't think this will fan the flames of inflation because I don't think most people are paying back their student loans as it is. I know that they put a moratorium on student loan payments for the last two years since COVID started. So people already were not paying this back. Will this really impact people? It might. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's just my gut that tells me people aren't really paying these loans back. Loans back anyways. It's not going to impact the economy, at least inflation, like the right. previous decision is just throw out a bunch of free money uh, into the, the workforce uh, and during the pandemic. Now, that might have been necessary, but you also could see that have an impact on, on rising prices. I think that was entirely foreseeable. All right. One more legal matter I want to talk about, and that dealt with this last week, a jury awarded Kobe Bryant's widow over $16 million dollars based upon crash photos. So uh, you probably all are aware that uh, Kobe Bryant, the Hall of Fame uh, basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers, yep. uh, and his, their 13-year-old daughter, uh, Gianna, uh, were in a helicopter, it crashed, and they perished. And there were some responders there who took photographs of the crash scene, including the bodies of, of the, the people who passed away. And right. so... They then showed these pictures to other people. A lawsuit was filed by Vanessa Williams and others that were, you know, uh, the family members of these victims saying this, it was intentional infliction of emotional distress. This made us grieve. The fact that you took these pictures and showed them to other people. We have been damaged by this. A jury 
contemplated this for all of four and a half hours and then issued a ruling saying, yes, they should pay $16 million to Vanessa Williams and I believe $15 million to Vanessa the other Bryant. person. Uh, Vanessa Bryant, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, and then $15 million to the other person uh, who also was a family member of someone whose pictures were taken. And so, mm-hmm. Chris, what are your thoughts over this verdict of $16 million to Vanessa Bryant? Money will never make a person whole at the end of the day. Kobe and uh, Deanna died in a very tragic manner. Um, I think that when you you look at the whole of the criminal or of the case of the civil case that they did, um, compelling evidence on both sides, how the pictures were taken, how they were distributed, where they were distributed. I, I think the money at this point is inconsequential to the Bryant and Chester side, which Chris Chester was the other um, plaintiff in this case with Vanessa Bryant in the Bryant estate. Um, Inconsequential. Obviously, the Bryants are going to be taken care of for life because they already had all of Kobe's money from his his years of earning. Um, but I also think it was a wake up call to the officers and the firefighters that were involved in how they, at least how the jury found whether that's actually what happened or what not. This is what the jury found that they so casually shared the pictures of Kobe and uh, Gianna's body to bartenders and and spouses and showed them around an award ceremony and all these things, all the evidence that was presented. I think that this is more of a, Hey LA, you need to stop being idiotic in these things and just follow procedure rather than, Hey, check this out. I got a picture of Kobe. That is, it's a fascinating legal story from my perspective. I got to admit, Chris, I don't get it. I don't get how this verdict came to be. So I'm hoping you can maybe can shed right. some light. And let me let me tell you where I struggle with this. The, the individual officers here are not going to pay out $16 million. This no. was a lawsuit against the city, right? The people yep. who employ these people. So you... Now, there is no respondee at superior liability when you sue a, mini- a municipality. You have to say there is a custom policy or practice that the mini- municipality had. Just because one of your employees did something bad does not mean that you are liable. You actually still have to right. point to a policy or practice of the city that caused your, your harm. So here, what was the policy of the city of Los Angeles? Well, I guess it would be that they allow people to take pictures on their cell phones. Cell phones and so yeah. is that the policy we are challenging? Because it was argued during in court by the, the, the city's attorney here uh, that, um, th- that these pictures were, were needed to assess the, the scene. And that mm-hmm. makes sense. So what did the, the governmental entity here do that was so bad that now has to be changed. Is it that you, because very, to be very clear, it wasn't the government here that shared these pictures, right? If no, that's was what was a problem, you got to sue the individuals individually. Well, they don't have a bank account. That's why you don't do that. You don't sue right. police officer Joe because police officer Joe has no money to pay $16 million. You sue the governmental entity. They have the money. But again, it wasn't the government entity that shared the pictures. So how is it that you get a jury awarding them $16 million? So my, my, my gathering of this, reading the facts in the case, is that the policy of the city is not to secure the device. Okay. So 
you take the pictures that are needed for the investigation, right? And and depending on what the pictures are, right? Were these? And I don't know. There wasn't. There wasn't. This wasn't argued at court, but this is just a known Chris Marone thought. Is how were the pictures taken? Were they stylized, right? Were they taken specifically to to further the investigation, or were they taken like paparazzi photos? One. I gotcha. Secondly, you didn't secure the photos, right? The guys were able to walk off, or or gals, or theys, whoever the individuals were that were able to walk off with the phones. And then use them in public settings for pub for their own, I don't know, stature gain, clout, whatever, because now those photos on the phones of these individuals were being shown to public individuals and I eventually will get leaked to social media. So the fact that LAFD and uh, L.A. County sheriffs didn't lock down the device or have a policy to lock down the device, I would say that is the hinge point of being deficient for this amount. And that, and that is why you are on this podcast. You brought clarity to the situation. First of all, I, I misspoke there. I, I saw Los Angeles. I kept saying Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles. It's actually Los Angeles County that was mm-hmm. the defendant here. Same thing. It's a governmental entity. They have money. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great point you made. It was their policy of not securing the photos. I guess that makes a lot of sense because we do live in a day and age of social media mm-hmm. and they should know if they don't secure those photos and you have a star at play, right. it can go viral. Even if a star is not at play, but it's a horrific scene, it now becomes a story because of the horrific accident. Or No matter what, a helicopter crash right. is going to generate a news, hit the news cycle. Especially and so they Kobe. should have a policy. Exactly. Especially when you're dealing with this situation. So they should have had a policy in place. They did not. And so you get the $16 million verdict. All right. right. No, Chris, it is now time for courtroom quarterback. Courtroom quarterbacks. <laughs> this is the favorite part of my podcast because this is where I basically just let my hair down. Yes, I know those of you who see me, I have mm-hmm. no hair that I could let down, but you get the idea. I assume we have lost all. All of our listeners by now, we've talked about the legal news and they said, okay, that's why we tune in. It's now time for us to tune out because we're going to now talk about sports. Chris, this here is for you and me. We get to talk about sports because we are so passionate about it. And if we can throw in some law, all the better. Of course, I'm just being a little bit facetious. I do know that people like to listen to sports and that's why we talk about it. Let's start off, Chris, here with, I think, a sport that everyone should be paying attention to, and no one is. I am talking about tennis. tennis. Yes. Do you watch tennis? Nope. I I tell you what. Our former guest host of this podcast, Chris Marone. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) You're not a tennis fan. I, I I just came from Cincinnati. I watched the Western and Southern Tennis Open. And I learned through just talking to various people, a lot of those people who went to that tennis match to watch don't play tennis. It floored me. How are there that many people spending a hundred bucks for tickets when they don't even play tennis? Well, that being said, the greatest, actually, I'm going to back up here, Chris. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you a question here. Of all the tennis, of all the uh, sporting events in the world, 
All right. I am okay. now declaring you an expert on this. You are my Go. designated legal expert on this. What do you think is the most attended sporting event in the world? Would be Wimbledon. All right. Nope. You're wrong. Oh, yeah. It happens. You you went to tennis. I appreciate that. At least you're smart enough. And we're talking about tennis. I better give him a tennis answer. You might have right. said the World Cup, right? No. Yeah. The answer is the U.S. Tennis Open. It is a two-week-long really? event, and they must consider the World Cup separate events. I don't know how they get around that. But nonetheless, uh, the Genesis Book of World Records says the U.S. Open is the most attended singular event you might think what about the super bowl no the super bowl you only have it's one day you know yeah. it's a stadium right one day one stadium the u.s open is two weeks in new york city so if you want to count all the tickets that are sold for that one event the u.s open right. is the most attended event in all of sports and so it's going to happen here next week the big storyline here is Djokovic. now i'm gonna just tell oh, the listeners in in the vaccinated. history of tennis Three names stand out above all others when it comes to men's tennis. You got Federer, Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal. Now, you might think all three of those players sound familiar. Yes, they are all playing right now. And, and they're all in competition to who will have the most Grand Slam wins of all time. These three have spurred each other on. Uh, I believe yeah. Federer has 20 Djokovic, I think, has 21, 22, and Nadal has 21 or 22 as well. The next closest is Pete Sampras with 14. So these three have definitely spurred each other on. Well, Djokovic was just told, hey, Novak, you cannot compete in this U.S. Open because right. you are not vaccinated. He is not allowed in this country. I don't know. Chris, what do you think about that? They're not going to allow Djokovic to come to the U.S. Open because he's not vaccinated? I don't know. Is This is form over substance. This is the law being perverted to reach absurd results. Any thoughts? Well, is is it the U.S. Tennis? And I don't know if that's the correct, like the NFL. Is it the U.S. Tennis Association that says he can't play? Or is the U.S. denying him entry into the country? The U.S. is denying him entry into the country. Really? Yes, very similar to what happened in Australia. So he also missed right. the Australian Open. But they're they're denying him entry because he is not vaccinated. So my thought is, number one, really? So no one is allowed in America who's not vaccinated. I just, I find that hard to believe. I believe there are many exceptions out there. There is. Number two. I know several people is, who live near me that are unvaccinated. Right. Number two, this is, a lot of people here in America are not vaccinated really is bringing in Djokovic going to hurt things or bringing in people who are not vaccinated in this country where probably half of the people are not vaccinated. I'm just not sure that makes a lot of sense from a policy decision, but nonetheless, the U S open is starting off next week. Pay attention to it and be a fan for Jack sock. I'm gonna give a shout out to Jack sock. He is a local tennis player from Kansas City. And so uh, he actually played here in the high schools. And so follow Jack Sock. All right, let's move now over to the NFL. Uh, Chris, I know last week we talked about the major storylines for this next year. I want to kind of just focus a little bit on Carolina. I think Carolina, the Carolina Panthers, they're going to be a team to watch. Uh, Baker so Mayfield. Is their, yeah. is their quarterback, he was just announced that he was going to be the starter. 
I think the acquisition of Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Cam- uh, Panthers is going to go down as one of these steals of the century. I cannot believe the Browns parted from him, so much so that I am going to declare a curse on Cleveland. It's going to be called the Baker Mayfield curse. They should not have released him. He is going to, he's a great quarterback. Instead, they choose someone who has all this, you know, sexual abuse allegations against him. Yeah. I don't know. Are you, um, do you think the Carolina is going to have a good year? I think they're going to have a fantastic year. I think Baker Mayfield's out for blood, right? He knew he, he got drafted be. to the Browns and he could just be a, you know, do what he could with the, the organization. They weren't, you know, the Browns aren't a fantastic team to begin with. And they're in a rebuilding stage for the last 60 years. But I think that, like, <laughs> Baker is full-on feeling disrespected by the Browns, and he's going to go out there and show the NFL what he's made of. I think he's going to put in 190%, and he's going to just absolutely dominate this year. The, the story of Baker Mayfield is this. If you are a professional sports player uh, and you're injured – be a baby, sit out, do not tough it out and play Mm -hmm. through your injury. You will get no benefit for doing that. That is what happened to Baker Mayfield. He was injured last year. So he was a rising star. He was the Mm -hmm. number one pick in the draft. He actually led the Cleveland Browns, the woeful franchise who you just so happily described as being in a 60 year rebuild mode. Mm -hmm. He led them to the playoffs, not just the playoff wins. No. He led them to a not just a playoff win against their arch nemesis, against right. the Pittsburgh Steelers. He beat right. their number one rival in the playoffs. So he's a rising star. What happened yeah. the next year? Well, the next year he then plays and he gets injured, I believe, in week two. He was playing yep. by Kansas City Chiefs and got sacked, tackled hard, went down, mm-hmm. I believe, on his shoulder, whatever. He injured himself. He thought, you know what? This is football. I'm going to play tough. I'm going to play through this injury. Normally, you would applaud that. But here's what happens. Now your accuracy is off because you can't throw like you could. And so because his numbers went down, the fans have turned on him. No, he's not a good quarterback. He has to get out of Cleveland. It just spiraled down from there. It all started when he decided to play injured. So another reason why Cleveland... There's a curse on you. It's the Baker Mayfield curse. Oh, yeah. And also in the NFL news, Patrick Mahomes is getting dogged on again. I don't get this. Why is everyone dogging on Patrick Mahomes? This time it's coming from Sammy Watkins. I am a Kansas City fan. I know who Sammy Watkins is. He played here in Kansas City for several years. Also very, he was injured half the time. That's why we parted with him. He is now a receiver for the Green Bay Packers, and he oh. recently said that, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is good, but Aaron Rodgers is on a whole different level. Chris, this is blasphemy, and, and it's just wrong. Why is it? Why is everyone dogging on Patrick Mahomes? Well, I mean, I could see simple trash talk. That's part of the game. But, like, trash talk Mahomes against people that he can compete with, right? Aaron Rodgers isn't on the same level as Patrick Mahomes. You want to dog Patrick Mahomes? Dog Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. Dog him against Josh Allen. Dog him against Matt Stafford. Like, dog him against quarterbacks that can perform when need to perform. Aaron Rodgers, like, he's not... Again, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you understand my complete and utter dislike for Aaron Rodgers. 
But he's not some, like, he's just not. He's not there. And this absolute, like, almost deity-type love that people have for Aaron Rodgers is absolutely ridiculous. There, The numbers do not support it. Now, is he a great quarterback? He's a great quarterback. Is he one of the best of all times? Yes, he's no. one of the best no. of all times. But how many Super Bowls has he been to? One. He lost one. it, right? Yeah, he does not have this incredible. He's lost, I believe, four or five NFC championship games. Uh, yeah. Is that really the making of one of the greatest of all times? In Patrick Mahomes' short NFL career of just six years, five as the starter, he's already been to two Super Bowls and four AFC championship games. Right. He has a already a more accomplished quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, though Aaron Rodgers is now nearing grandpa status and, and taking all kinds of psychedelic drugs. But that's a whole other story. Right. So, nonetheless, stop the Patrick Mahomes hate. Actually, you know what? Keep it going. I think it's going to spur us on to greater heights this year. We had not even done our Super Bowl picks yet. We're going to do that next week. But you know what? No. Mark my words. The Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. Put it down Good right now. Lock it Good in. For you. The Chiefs are my team to win the Super Bowl. So if you want a dog on Patrick Mahomes, just bring it. You know, I'll tell I you who Patrick you. Mahomes will. Do you know Patrick Mahomes will not be facing in the Super Bowl? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. There is yeah. Do not put your money Aaron on Aaron Rodgers. That is blown money. I have seen him perform the last two years in the postseason. He has laid an egg. Not his receivers. Aaron Rodgers has laid an egg. And so I don't know why this year, unless he's taking different psychedelic drugs, why this year right. he's going to perform any different. I think instead, maybe Roger Goodell, you should look into this drug-taking habits of, of Aaron right. Rodgers and maybe ban him a couple What's of up, games. What's up, guy? I don't know. Oh, right. Aaron Rodgers wholly admits to taking an illegal substance. Nothing happens. Tyreek Hill yeah. bets on himself, bets on himself to win a football game suspended indefinitely. Uh, not Tyree Kill. Who who did that? Who did that happen to? Was that Tyree Kill? No, it wasn't Tyree Kill. It was um. Now yes. I can't even think of the guy's name. Cal is it Cal? I know. Well, um, you, you know what? The more I talk, it will come to you before the end of the podcast because I know what you are doing right now, Chris. You are on Calvin Google Ridley, and you are good. There you go, Calvin Ridley. Say Calvin Ridley. See, that is the beauty and power of Google. In real Indeed. time, you were able to come with the correct name. All right, Chris, right. we've got to end this podcast. But before we do, you need to just humor me for just a bit. Will you, will you do that? I got you. What's up? You're a friend, right? Of course I am. Yeah, and, and you, you will recognize a person who is grieving. Is that not true? I do. I have that heart. And you will, you will bring comforting words to this person who is grieving. Of course I will. All right, Chris, I need comforting words. Go. Are you ready? Yes. This week, this Saturday, in Ireland, my beloved Nebraska Cornhuskers will be embarking on a pivotal year of football. Now, I have told my sons this, this legend of, of yesteryear. There was a time long, long ago in a faraway land when the Nebraska Cornhuskers were actually good at football. Now, I know mm -hmm. what you're thinking, Joel. That's fairy tale stuff. Nowhere in our lifetime have we ever seen no. evidence that Nebraska has been a good team. Trust me, there was a time long, long ago in a faraway land that we won national titles. Do you know who was the quarterback the last time Nebraska won a national championship? Uh, no, I don't. 
I did not expect you to know that, Chris. You were not that good of a friend. But you are now. I'm going to tell you, Scott Frost was our quarterback. He led us to a national championship in 1997. Well, many years have passed. I have had two children. They both were born during since that time period since they graduated okay. from high school one has graduated from college yeah a lot of living has happened since nebraska uh-huh. was last relevant who is our beloved coach now at the nebraska Cornhuskers? mr frost scott frost do you know where scott frost is from he is from nebraska born and bred right there in omaha he is a local yokel there he is going to bring us back to our heights, right? This is like the stuff of legends. This is stuff that fairy tales are made of. It does not happen that way. No, the last four years in fact, <laughs> Nebraska has yet to have a winning record. What? So Chris, here's what happened. All right. Scott Frost was brought in as an offensive guru. He has been trained by the best. Let me just tell you some of the people that Scott Frost has learned from when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. All right, you ready? Write these names down. Okay. Tom Osborne. Do you know who Tom Osborne is? Great offensive mind there for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. How about this guy? Um, Bill Walsh. Have you heard of a guy named Bill Walsh? We all know Bill Walsh. He's the best. He's the best when it comes to offensive systems. Scott right. Frost learned he played at Stanford under Bill Walsh. All right. Oh, wow. How about how about um a guy named um uh oh the Bill Belichick? He's known for being a great football coach, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he learned from him. Uh how about um Chip Gailey, the coach of Oregon? Yeah. Known for that great system. That's where he went and learned from Scott Frost has learned from all of these great all these great minds. Yes, he is going to be our savior. He's known as being an offensive guru. Well, our offense was so bad over the last couple of years that last year they fired every single offensive coach. They're all gone except for one person. Do you know which one of our offensive coaches has remained? I don't. Scott Frost. We, we keep him. We fire everyone else. He, again, he was supposed to be the guru, the genius. So we bring in a new offensive coordinator from Pittsburgh, who last right. year, Mark Whipple was from Pittsburgh. He developed Kenny Pickett, who was a Heisman finalist last year. First round pick in the NFL draft this last season. So we bring in this other savior to kind of save Scott Frost's bacon. I don't know. But Chris, this is the world in which I live. Uh, can you please give me some ray of hope for this Saturday as Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers kick it off in Ireland of all places? Will this be the year? Yes, this is going to be the year, Joel. Scott's going to come into his own. He's going to feel the bull dance. He had a great recruiting season. It's going to come in and they're going to start dominating early and often. And it's going to be a lot better for you and your mental health. All right, so should I take the bet here this week? I don't yes. even know what the line is for the Nebraska versus Northwestern. Uh, I do fear this line because of a couple reasons. One, last year, Nebraska beat Northwestern 56-7. to that, that was one of our one of our three wins last year. We beat Northwestern 56-7. to seven. Northwestern is a good team. They are coached well. Surely payback is going to be on their mind. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you think I should take the spread of which we have no idea what it is, Nebraska over Northwestern? 
I think he should. The spreads. North. Well, Nebraska is a 13.5 favorite. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. The over under is 50.5. 50.5. That, that seems low to me. You know what, yeah. Chris? I am going to suggest. No, this is, a, this is a preseason for us. So I'm not going to put us on right. the line. This is not, not going to count towards our final stats. Here's I'm going to go against conventional wisdom. And I'm going to say, take the over on that. Okay. And take the Nebraska against uh, and give up those points. And here's why. Nebraska has a new team this year. They do. They have All new right. coaching staff. They brought in Mark Whipple, who was a genius when it comes to offense from Pittsburgh. And so he is, it's a new system now. They also brought in one of the best wide receiver coaches in the country. His name is Mickey Joseph. He developed the triumvirate of Jamari Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrence Marshall on the national championship LSU team from a few years ago. This is the wide receiver coach who developed that group. He knows what he is doing. This is a new day in a new era in, in Nebraska. So I think we're going to start off with a bang. We're going to cover the 13 and a half point spread and we're all going right. to score the 50 points all on our own. Take the over and take Nebraska. Chris, I'm not sure I'll have a more Homer pick this year than <laughs> what I just gave you. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see this come out and have you be on top to start our betting season. All right, there you go. Hey, Chris. Have a great week. Watch some football, and I'm going to be in San Diego next week. But, hey, enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you next week. We'll see you all later. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.